0: Have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 9. As I've been reading through the Gospels uh, this time, I found it very intriguing to me that um, I've started to see Jesus in a little bit of a different light. I know that sometimes, as I've I've read through the Gospels, I may key on some things like how he treats people, and that could be great. I may key in on some, maybe the miracles of Jesus. Uh, sometimes uh, the outsiders and how he treats uh, you know, the lame or the sick, uh, that sticks out to me. This time reading through the Gospels, uh, I've been most caught by the identity of Jesus, which is why two weeks ago when I taught about Jesus calming the storm, that's one of the reasons why I picked that passage is because looking at Jesus in a different light, it's the reason, one of the reasons why I picked the passage that I did tonight. But as you looked at how, uh, as we talked about two weeks ago, when Jesus calmed the storm, and leaving the disciples asking the question, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? You know, we've heard all about So many different stories throughout the Gospels. And one of the things that I have found myself as I'm reading through the Gospels this time is I found myself a little bit envious of the disciples. I look at their um, lives and what they got to experience when they walked for several years with Jesus, the miracles that they got to see. Uh, Think about some of these things that they have witnessed. Water being turned into wine at a wedding feast. I mean, I don't know about you, but that would be pretty cool to see. Uh, Jesus healing lots of people. Diseases, fevers, sick, oppressed, paralyzed people. People with withered limbs. He heals all of these things. He gives the blind sight. Um, He gives people who have not been able to speak a voice. Uh, He commands fish into nets. Or maybe he created the fish on the spot. We don't know. But he did those things. He walks on water. He's fed the multitudes with barely a lunch. Uh, he commands a tree to die. And it obeys instantly. So think about some of these things that he has done. And what the disciples have witnessed. Even to go so far as to raise a dead person uh, to life or to put an ear back on in an instant they've seen some pretty cool stuff right and so the more i think about what these guys have been able to witness in their two or three years walking with jesus what they must have heard all of the things that we don't get in the gospels because it says very very specifically that not everything that he did is written in the in the gospels he did much more than those things. So it makes me a little envious. It makes me a little jealous of the disciples. And I've oftentimes joked, as I, as I talk about this, I've often joked with teenagers of, I would love to go back. When I get to heaven, one of the first things to do, you know, besides worship Jesus for a couple thousand years, before all those things, saying hi to your loved ones, I want to just sit down and see how everything took place throughout history. To see things such as when everyone's language changed at Babel. That would have been sweet, right? Just to be able to see the confusion. That would have been uh, something amazing to me. That's one of the first things I thought of. Uh, What about the ten plagues, right, in Egypt? That would have been pretty cool to witness. Maybe some things like when Moses raised his arms and the sea split and became two walls. And... The ground was dry and they got to cross over. That would have been an amazing thing to see. Uh, Maybe to see the walls come tumbling down at Jericho when Joshua was marching around. That would have been pretty awesome to see. Maybe the writing on the wall. Maybe to see the fourth man in the fire with Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah. Or you may know him as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. To see that. To see these things. Maybe to see the heavenly host. That shows up. uh, In chariots of fire. Surrounding Elisha. and, And having to see them. Their eyes open. To be able to see that. That would have been pretty cool to see as well. Or maybe Elijah. Prophets of Baal. See him call down fire. What an amazing thing that would have been to see. So to physically see some of the things that these disciples would have been able to see. I look at that and, I'm like I said, I'm a little bit envious. I'm a little bit jealous of those things. And so, tonight, we're going to look at a very specific passage in Scripture, which makes me even more envious of what these guys, three guys to be exact, are going to get to see. Uh, Because we're going to see Jesus... Uh, who is God who has put on human flesh? And we're going to see in a moment, in an instant, uh, Him show the disciples who He truly is. And He's going to take off that earth suit for just a second, for just a moment, and show them who He really is. And so that brings us to our big idea for tonight. Our big idea is that Jesus revealed his identity as Messiah and Lord. He revealed his identity as Messiah and Lord. So Luke chapter 9, we're going to start reading in verse 28. It says, Now about eight days after these these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying... The appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And he was saying these thing, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Let's pray this evening. Father, we thank you for this word. uh, This revelation of a moment that happened with uh, several guys. Something that was ultimately kept secret until after the ascension into heaven. Something that we can look back on and take encouragement from in our own lives. So Father, I pray that as we read this scripture tonight and as we look at your truths from your word, I pray that it uh, transform us from who we are into who you want us to be. Father, I pray that you speak to us through your truth. I pray Pray that it would make sense to us and that it would change us from the inside out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to give you a little bit of backstory of where we're at in this passage. Starting in verse 18, um, you have Peter and his disciples with Jesus. And it says that Jesus was praying. And after praying, he starts a conversation with the disciples. And he asks the guys, who do people... Say that I am. And of course, Peter, first to speak in a lot of ways, uh, and many times in the Bible, he answers. He says, you are the Christ of God, or you are God's Messiah. Now, this title that Peter is quoting here in this, in this passage, uh, before we get to this passage, means anointed. Um, in the Old Testament, kings and priests were anointed for special offices, the Lord's anointed became a very familiar phrase Uh, during the time of the kings and after the fall of the monarchy, there were always, uh, people would always talk. Uh, There was this growing hope, there was this growing anticipation of this um, king that was to come and this term Messiah would come from that in reference to this future king that would come and save God's people from their enemies. And so Jesus, when asked, uh, when he asks his disciples, you know, I don't want you to tell everyone about this truth that you know about me. Uh, Don't tell people about it. And in addition to telling them not to tell them about it, he goes into what it is going to cost them to follow after him. And so he tells them, you know, after these things, take up your cross, follow me. And so... um, In verse 22, he says this, The Son of Man must suffer many things. And he must be rejected by the elders and by the chief priests and by the scribes. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised. So once again, Jesus is telling his disciples, I am going to die. That is what I've come for. Now one thing about the disciples is they don't listen a whole lot of the time. Jesus has told them over and over, you can see this about God's people all the way through, but they just don't get it. Okay, They haven't gotten it before when he's told them that I'm headed to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And here again, he tells them, I'm going to die. And if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow after me. Which would have been a very odd statement for them to hear. Take up your method of execution and follow me. And so... Fast forward in, here, in Luke, eight days, that's where we're at. So Jesus in this moment takes three of his disciples, his closest followers, three guys that he is like his inner circle of buddies. Uh, he's taken them separately on other occasions as well. And he's going to take them up to a mountain and he begins to pray. And this is your first point. Jesus was transfigured before them. He was transfigured before them. <clears throat> verse 29 as he was praying the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white you know this word transfigured in greek uh, literally means metamorphio which if it's the same word that we get metamorphosis from you know like a, the transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly that's really a very immature way of saying it, a very intermediate way of saying the, the transformation that is taking place here because we really can't put it in the Word. Matthew tells us in his gospel that the appearance of his face changed so that it shined like the sun. <clears throat> it was radiant light, his face was. Um, his clothes were dazzling white. Matthew chapter 9, in, in this parallel story, said that his clothes were so white that no one on earth could have bleached them. So they were as white as white could be. Uh, One commentary that I found interesting, uh, I don't think this is the way it was, but I found it interesting that they said maybe his aura of himself was shining so brightly that it just bleached his clothes. Uh, His clothes weren't shining, it was just the fact that he was shining so bright that it changed his very cl- the nature of his clothes. R.C. Sproul says it like this. In this moment, God removed the veil and the concealed deity of Christ burst through the cloak of his humanity, displaying itself in nothing less than the pure radiance of re- refulgence and of divine glory. The brightness of divine glory. And... When we see Jesus being transformed in this moment, we are seeing Jesus in three different phases, okay? Uh, I want you to get this. I had on your notes, one, two, and three, I put uh, past, present, and future. And those are finite terms that we as humans understand, but to try to put that on an infinite God, it really doesn't, because he has no beginning and he will have no end. So uh, I left that off. So number one, a glimpse who Jesus has always been. In John 17, Jesus tells the Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. These disciples are seeing Jesus how he was before the creation of the world. They're seeing how he was before he had created anything. In John chapter 1, it reminds us, uh, starting in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Uh, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is what these guys are getting a glimpse of. This is the Jesus, the God-man. This is what they're getting a glimpse of. The deity of Christ. Secondly, they're getting a glimpse of who Jesus truly is in the moment. They have walked with Jesus for several years. They have had a veiled picture of his true self. And in this moment, When his face is transfigured, when his face is shining bright, they are getting a glimpse of who Jesus really is in his truest form, in his truest nature. And thirdly, they're getting a glimpse of his glory to come. Not only were they seeing Jesus for who he truly was, they're also seeing Jesus for who he will be for all eternity. For all of those who've put their faith and trust in Christ, they're seeing who they will be. See throughout all all eternity. The one who will judge the nations, the ones that will rule for all eternity, the Son of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And as Hebrews 13, 8 reminds us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the closest to past, present, and future that I could get, that we can understand. They're seeing Jesus for who He truly, truly is. There was a video that went viral a few years back Uh, of an NFL quarterback by the name of Jared Goff. At the time, he was the quarterback of the L.A. Rams. Um, He was not their quarterback when they just won the Super Bowl, so too bad, so sad. But at this moment, Jared Goff went undercover. There was a head coach at Ventura College in California, and he calls up Jared Goff and he says, Hey, there's a competition going on at my school. And I want these guys to understand that in these competitions that their um, position is not safe. If someone wants to compete for their starting job and they are better, I'm going to play the best players. So this coach calls up Jared Goff. Evidently he knew him. And he says, I want you to come and I want you to be a walk-on, a transfer. And I want you to quote-unquote try out for the team. And it's kind of funny, if you go and watch the video, the wide receivers for this uh, college are defending the other guys, and they are nowhere close to as good as this NFL quarterback, obviously. And so it's kind of funny to watch this competition take place, and they obviously know that he's better than the other guys, but they still want to stand up for their buddies and all this stuff, and it's a lot of fun. Until he unveils who he really is at the end of this competition, right? Right? And he takes off his wig and he takes off his his creeper mustache and uh, and his fake tattoos. They put fake tattoos on him in the whole works. They did all sorts of stuff. And uh, and it was a fun video. And, of course, they all want autographs at that point. So I know this is nothing in comparison to what we're talking about. But I'm trying to give you this idea of these disciples have only seen seen a veiled copy of who Jesus really was. Even as they see uh, the miracles, they haven't truly, with their eyes, seen who Jesus really was until this moment. And these three guys get to see it like never before. And then, of course, let's see what happens next. Two representatives from the Old Testament appeared. Starting in verse 30. It says, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses And Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. I want you to just try to wrap your brain around that verse of what this moment must have been like for these guys. Two men, founding fathers of our faith, two great leaders of God's people, who were, <clears throat> were in heaven beholding the glory of God. And they're going to step out of that onto earth to behold the glory of the Son. And what this must have been like for them. What this must have been like for the disciples seeing it. You know, there's a few similarities between these two men. When we think about Moses and Elijah, both of these guys were Prophets. Uh, both of these guys met with God on separate occasions on a mountain. Both of these men had very unique exits from Earth. Uh, one of them being buried by God, uh, one of them being taken up in a chariot uh, up into heaven. And so, uh, why Moses and Elijah? I kind of asked myself that this that question this week. You know, if I were picking, uh, and you know, um, I would have picked Joshua. I know when we went through uh, a lot of the books of the Old Testament several years back, and I was lucky enough to get the book of Joshua. When you look at, one of the things that Landon had us do is to try to find something that these men did wrong. And I had to go into his office, and I said, I can't find anything on Joshua that he ever did wrong. We found something in there, but... It's very hard to find something on Joshua that he did wrong. I think I would have picked Joshua to go. I mean, when you think about it, um, he didn't try to hit a rock when God gave him the command to speak to it like Moses, right? We're going to talk about that again in a second. He didn't run away from a death threat after seeing a miracle like calling down fire like Elijah did. Why these two guys? And it's because these two guys represent the Old Testament. Meaning, first of all, Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. Everything that these two, quote-unquote, pillars of our faith, everything that they lived for, everything that they hoped for, everything that they were pointing God's people to, it's getting really close right here on this mountaintop. And they know it. How exciting it must have been for these guys. All that they had taught God's people about in the Old Testament. All of the things, what they were doing, pointing people to God, and this future hope. We're getting close right here on this mountaintop. And to be able to be here in this moment would have been really cool for them. John 5, 46, Jesus says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. Jesus tells them, Moses wrote about me. All of these stories, they're about me. All the Torah, all the Old Testament, it's all pointing to me. It's all pointing to what is to come on Golgotha. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, I have come to fulfill the law. And so these two men represent the law and the prophets and what God's plan for the For the law, God's plan for the prophets was to point God's people to the hope of Jesus Christ. And that's what they were to do. And so all of these things have been pointing us forward to Jesus. And speaking of these two guys stepping on the scene, here's a little side note for you that I found really cool. You remember, I just told you about Moses striking the rock. Moses is going to get in big trouble for striking the rock. God didn't tell you to strike the rock. God told you to speak to the rock. And because of that, Moses gets in trouble and he does not get to go into the promised land. That was one of his punishments. Yet, if you really think about it, where is Moses in this moment? For the first time, he's standing in the promised land. Must have been a really cool scene for Moses in this moment. He's standing here in the promised land. Moses, Elijah, two Men representing the law and the prophets here in this moment meeting with Jesus. So, why? Why are they meeting with Jesus? Lucky for you that we are in Luke because Luke is the only gospel that tells us what they are talking about. Um, verse 30 <clears throat> And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. So that's your blank. They spoke to Jesus about his departure. Jesus has already told the disciples what was about to take place. He told them that he was going to die. He reminds them yet again that he is going to die. And so they are speaking to Jesus about his death. They're speaking to Jesus about his departure. And if you translate this into Greek, it uses a very interesting word in this moment. It uses the Greek word exodos. Which is where we get the word exodus from. So this word exodus, departure, literally means exodus. They are sitting here speaking to Jesus about his exodus. Um, Like I said, all of these things from the Old Testament are pointing us forward to Jesus. And this is just one of those things that should tie a big ribbon on it. And it should give us a red flag of this makes us think of an Old Testament story. It should immediately make us think of the exodus. It should immediately make us think of a time when God's people were led out of slavery. It should immediately make us think of the Passover and where that started. Where the firstborn was going to be killed. But if you killed the lamb and you wiped the blood over the door, death would pass over your house and death would not come to your house in that moment. All of these stories as they're thinking about the Passover, as they're thinking about the Exodus, it should make them think about the Old Testament and what Jesus was about to fulfill here in the New Testament, here in the Gospels. So, Jesus, the Lamb of God, without blemish or spot. How do we know that? Because His face is shining like the sun. There is no sin in Him. He's God. And so He was about to become the sacrifice for sinner, sinners, First Peter chapter 1, 18 through nineteen says, "You were ransomed, ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with pres- with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot." They're connecting these dots, and here on this mountain of transfiguration, here when Jesus is meeting with Moses and Elijah. Here, when they're talking to him about his exodus, all of these dots are starting to connect, even though the disciples are going to miss it totally. We're going to know that they're going to miss it totally because Peter spoke. 32. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they had become fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as these men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus. Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. I love that key phrase that Mark puts in there, not knowing what he said. <clears throat> you know, it's really easy for us on this side, the, this side of the cross to give the disciples a hard time. How in the world could you three guys, the inner closer buddies of Jesus, be asleep when this was going on. No, this is not the last time they're going to sleep in a time when Jesus is praying. Uh, They're going to fall asleep in the garden. We know that uh, moving forward. But let me just say this. Let's not think of ourselves too highly because I know that if Landon said, hey, let's get together at the church and let's have a two-hour prayer meeting, half of you would fall asleep. Let's be honest. About 80% of us would fall asleep. The other 20% would be on your phone or just have ADHD and you couldn't go to sleep anyway. But we would fall asleep. I remember several times at Secret Church, it's getting close to midnight, they have that prayer time, they have the little bell that goes off. Oh, the bell wakes you up. That's why they put the bell in there to wake you back up so you keep praying. It's, this is a theme through the Gospels. of, And when they wake up, they see, they see this sight unfolding before them. Now, we've seen some pretty crazy miracles. We've seen Jesus do some crazy miracles. But in this moment, they are seeing the glory of Jesus. They're seeing Him like they never have before. And Peter gets caught up in the moment. He gets caught up. You know, uh, it's, we've gone to youth camp several times. And I remember sometimes at youth camp where teenagers... Uh, they truly fall in love with God's Word like they never have before. You're listening to three sermons a day and you're singing, you're having several worship services a day, you do service projects in the afternoon, you're tired, you're emotional, and these kids come Thursday or Friday, they, do, they get saved like three... No, I'm just kidding. But uh, They don't want to come home. They don't want to come home from this mountaintop experience. They get on fire for Jesus, they get around their buddies, they love Jesus, they've been proclaiming his love all week, and they're serving Jesus, and then on top of that, they don't have to make their bed, they don't have to watch their little sister, they don't have to cook any meals, they don't have to clean up for themselves. This is the life. Let's just stay at youth camp. That's kind of what Peter, I think, is having this moment of, let's just stay here. It's good that we're here, God. Let's just chill out for a while. few things wrong with that thought first of all there is only one who was worthy to be praised on the mountain that day yes they saw Moses yes they saw Elijah they saw them in their glory in their glorious state in their heavenly state but they were not worthy of worship only Jesus was he was the only one worthy to be worshiped on that day Philip Ryken says it like this Jesus Christ does not have any peers When he spoke with Moses and Elijah, as great as those men were, he was not consulting with his colleagues. On the contrary, his greatness is unique. And whatever glory the disciples saw in him was inherent. Intrinsic splendor of his own supreme majesty, Jesus Christ deserves all worship and honor and glory and praise. To give him anything less than everything we have is to rob the Son of his glory." It's a great quote. There was only one God standing on the mountaintop that day, not three. Secondly, Peter failed to realize that this moment was not meant to last. This moment was not supposed to last, it was not supposed to take a long time. God's plan of redemption didn't stop on this mountain. It moves forward to the cross. It didn't stop here. That is where we were headed from this point on. I remember when Landon taught us through the book of Luke. The one verse that stood out to me more, not more, second to Luke 19.10 was Luke 9.51. We're almost there in this passage, but Luke 9.51 where it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's been doing ministry, but when the time came for him to go to Jerusalem, he set his face on the job that he he had come to accomplish. Jesus knew what he had come for, and he set his face towards Jerusalem. Peter, as well as the other disciples, they did not fully understand that yet, what was taking place. They had not connected those dots yet yet. N.T. Wright says it like this They were unable to understand how it was that the glory which they had glimpsed on the mountain, the glory of God's chosen Son, the servant who was carrying in him the promise of redemption, would finally be unveiled on a very different hill, an ugly hill outside of Jerusalem. Jesus was to be the suffering servant. Talked about in Isaiah. He was headed to die. He was to be the sacrificial lamb of God, coming to take away the sins of the world. Uh, So, after Peter spoke, God spoke. That's the next blank there. God spoke. 34. And he was saying these things. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. When we encounter the cloud in the Old Testament, it should immediately, we should think about the time in Egypt when God led them out of Egypt, when He led them by a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Um, The cloud that came down upon the tabernacle to dwell amongst the people, um, the very presence of God. And now God the Father, in this moment, descends upon this mountaintop and he has a message for these guys. He tells them, uh, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. You know, for us to stop and think of all the things that these guys have seen, you think that that would be confirmation enough. But now God himself is going to come down and speak directly to them and say, Listen to my son. little different wording here than it was at Jesus' baptism because he has a different message to tell these guys. On one hand, he was proud of his son. Now he's telling the disciples, You need to listen to my son. These guys are going to take what they have seen. They're going to write about it. Uh, we have that right here in the book of Second Peter. He says this. I think it's up on the screen. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born in him by majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice, very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter talks about it. They were seeing it all come together. They were starting to, not fully yet, I don't think they'll fully connect a lot of these dots until Jesus ascends into heaven. But they're starting to make sense of it. And how blessed these guys were to be able to witness this event and it take place. You know, on one hand, I also thought how unfortunate for all the disciples that not all of them got to see this take place. But what about us? I told you when I started tonight that I was kind of envious of the disciples. Jealous of some of the things they must have seen. Jealous of how... the miracles that they see, they got to see, and some of the things that they must have witnessed. Uh, but what about us? How should we respond to the transfiguration? Because we weren't there, we didn't get to see it. I haven't seen the miracles of Christ. Uh, what about us? How should we respond to that? Number one, we should worship Jesus for who he truly is. I hope and I pray that. You don't read stories like Jesus calming the storm or raising the dead or all those other miracles that I said. Or when you read a story like this, when you see Jesus truly taking off his veil of humanity to reveal who he really is. I pray that when we read stories like this, uh, it changes who we are. We don't allow ourselves to remain the same when we hear a story about Christ and because he is holy, holy, holy. He is God. He is worthy of our praise. It says the whole earth is full of his glory. That is who we are to worship. So we should worship Jesus for who he truly is. Secondly, we should understand that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. That was his plan. To seek and to save that that was lost. To save... Um, He lived a sinless life, the life that we could not. Um, He died the sacrificial death, taking on our sin, taking on our shame, uh, paying a debt that we could not pay on our own. Um, He also defeated the grave, conquering death. He made a way for us to be made right with the Father. That's what He did for us. He came to seek us and to save us. He did not stay On the mountaintop because that's not what he came to do. He didn't come down to earth to have a powwow with Elijah and Moses. He came to save sinners. And for that, he deserves as, like I said earlier, uh, Riken, he says, to give him anything less than everything we have is to rob the son of his glory. We owe him all that we are. We owe him every ounce of everything that we have. We owe our very nature to him. Thirdly, next we should draw closer to Jesus through his word. You know, this experience that these guys were partaking of in this moment, this, like I said, it was a spiritual high moment for them. Um, It would come to an end. It would fade. uh, But we should take courage in the fact that that happens because... If you read a little bit later in Second Peter from the verses that I just read to you, um, it says this, And we have a pro- prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes to someone's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? We have the Bible. We have the story of redemption. All of the stories of the Old Testament pointing us forward to Jesus. And we know the story of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. All of these dots are starting to connect. And we have it all in the form of God's Word. We see all the connections. We have the Holy Spirit who guides us, who makes sense of God's Word. You know, I said earlier that I was envious of the disciples. I think if the disciples could come today and live, they would be very envious of us and what we have, the truth of God's Word. We have the full knowledge of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. And they would look at us and go, why are you not listening to him? You know all of the answers. You have all of the dots connected. Why are you not listening? Like James 1.22 says, do not merely read the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. I think God would say the same thing to us. Listen to my son. You know how we do that? (laughs) We read the Bible and we do what it says. Pretty simple, right? I hope we realize the treasure that we have in God's word. And I hope we had God's word in our heart that we may not sin against God and that we make it a priority in our life. So we worship him. We understand uh, that he came to seek and save the lost. We get in the word. Number four, we should anticipate our reunion with the saints when Jesus returns. If this story, seeing Jesus unveiled of humanity in all of his glory, does not get you excited for eternity, then I would love to introduce you to Jesus for the first time after we finish tonight. I I really would. This should excite us. The disciples are here on this mountaintop experience, and they get this small glimpse uh, of who Jesus truly is. We get this small glimpse in reading this passage This should get us really excited for eternity. Should really get us excited. You know, I long to see family and friends who have already gone to be with the Lord. I long to go and hug my mama again. It's it's top of my priority list, besides Jesus and all the other, right? Uh, I long to see some of my brothers and sisters who I have served alongside in this church. I long to hug their necks, necks again. I long to, uh, to see them again. I really do. I look forward to that day when I get to see them in glory. I look forward to meeting some of the saints of old. Uh, to seeing some of those guys. To see Joshua. Uh, like I said, I, I kind of like Joshua. But I want to see Moses. I want to see Elijah. I want to see those guys. And hearing a story like this like this, should Get us excited for eternity, for seeing all those people. But most of all, I long to see Jesus. Like Paul and James and John got to see him in this moment. I long to see Jesus in that way. I long to see the face of Jesus. As Revelation 21 says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Man, if that, like I said, if that doesn't get you excited, you should check your pulse. Uh, uh, maybe read a little bit more about Jesus and get excited about that. Now, I could wrap it up right there. I could wrap up tonight, and that would be great. But there's one more point. And we can't miss this. Um, the last point is go make disciples. I think we have to remind ourselves of how Jesus left this, left this earth. And the last charge he gives to his disciples before he leaves. To go and make disciples. To baptize them. To teach them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. And he tells them, and I am with you till the end of the age. I'll be with you. I go before you. I want you to go and to make disciples. That's how we should respond. We should go. Yes, we love God. Yes, we uh, want to understand what He came to do. We worship tr- Jesus for who He truly is. We draw closer to Him through His Word. We anticipate heaven, we anticipate eternity. But lastly, we have to go make disciples. That's what he's called us to do. And until we take our last breath, and until Jesus takes us home, that's our job. Go make disciples. Some of us can do it in the nursery, in the youth area, in the adult Sunday school classes, in our workplaces, in our homes. That's our job. We are to go and make disciples. So if you want to know how to respond, we bring honor and glory to Jesus When we do what he says. That's what God's command was in this moment. Listen to my son. And that was his last charge. Go make disciples. Let's pray tonight.